This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Outside Looking In, the podcast series where I, Samson Folk, discuss the Raptors with 29 other people from 29 different markets so that you, the listener, can kind of get, you know, what do people think of my team? That's good. And then slowly, we're kind of sneaking in information about every team alongside with that. So by the end of this series, you kind of know about the league a lot. And you didn't have to listen to like a league-wide podcast. You got to hear Raptors stuff, if, if you're into that. Anyway, somebody who's into this, talking all about this kind of stuff. Yosef from Thunder Film Room. He was here last year to discuss the Oklahoma City Thunder. We ranted and raved about Shea Gilgis-Alexander after ranting and raving about him separately on our own Twitter and written work and you know collection of videos uh, for the past four years. We're here now. What's up, dude? How you doing? Dude, I'm good. Thank you for having me on again. Um, you have an amazing guest list, so I'm like, I'm genuinely just honored to be asked to come back. Um, I think it's a really cool series. I'm just excited to talk some Thunder and Raptors. The, the guest list is, that's kind of my roommate, Oleg, also my best friend. He he kind of, when I say like, okay, I got to go do work, like even just now, I got to go do a podcast. He's like, don't call it work. You're talking basketball with people you like talking to. I'm like, hey, you know, it's a living, you know. But um, it's it's cool doing this series, not only because, you know, I'm trying to do the full 29 this year. Last year, I think got to like 21 or something before I ran out of time. But I'm just trying to get there. And it's always great to talk basketball with people who not only see the game similarly to me, and then you get to kind of revel in like, oh, that's cool. I noticed that too. I love that. But also people who see things differently. So you can learn and or challenge your preconceived notions. My preconceived notion of the Oklahoma City Thunder is that I think they make the jump into the playoffs this year. Maybe it comes via winning in the play-in. Maybe it comes because they're just there. But I think... When that uh, when the series, the seven games start rolling around, I think that they're going to be in it. What do you think the odds of that are? I put it at like 60-40. Um, I do think it's, it's difficult because no one in the West necessarily got worse um, in terms of teams that were in front of them. Uh, but I do think Chet will help a lot with some of the things that they want to do. I do think the death depth that they've gotten um i'm really excited about bertons just being paired with shay um so like i do think there's a chance seven or eight seed is there um i do think it'll be a little more difficult this year strictly because i think teams are aware now that this is a team that's going to fight really really hard um especially on defense 
they're off. They, everyone knows Shea. He's he's been introduced to the league. Um, so I'm not sure you'll get those teams where they go up 15 and then all of a sudden the Thunder make this comeback. The last two, even three years, they've like been up in the top five, top 10 in terms of 10 to 15 point comebacks. Um, but I am really excited to see everyone's growth, especially Shea and Josh. Um, just that little mixture has been, you know, probably the main topic of Thunder Twitter. Um, and then also just other guys. And then, of course, Chet, um, who, you know, sadly we were robbed of last year. Yeah. Um, can't remember the last time someone was like this anticipated to be wearing a Thunder jersey. So that's probably the thing I'm most excited for. Yeah, that makes sense. There's kind of a, in Canada, obviously, in this listener base, Shea is not underrated remotely, but he's still an underrated guy. Like if you ask a lot of casual fans, the first team all NBA, I think they'd be more or less able to guess who was on it, but they probably wouldn't guess Shea. And there's also like, you know, in the discourse, if you ask, like do one of those polls that just brings in giant swaths of people, maybe it's NBA central or something like that. Uh, and you say like Anthony Edwards or Shea, like who's better right now? Anthony Edwards probably wins that despite not really being close in impact to Shea. Like just as young guards in the league, Shea is the guy. I know he'll have to lead playoff series. I know he has to do all this kind of stuff. But coming off of first team All-NBA, the liquidity of his offensive style and ability to kind of get into any space on the floor and um, the marginal gains he's been making as a playmaker – the pull-up shot, you know, it's in a good place. It's not back to the first half of 2020-21 where it was just insane, like 40%. Maybe it gets back there, but the way he game manages is really great now. And he's also paired with Josh Giddy, who, man, that guy is just all elbows and knees when he drives, but he makes it work. He's an unorthodox guy, but he, again, makes it work. And... I kind of want to talk about the similarities between, I mean, there's lots to talk about with this team. They're one of the most exciting teams. Jalen Williams, just as a quick thing, uh, wing Jalen Williams is the most perfect player. He plays perfect basketball. He, every decision he makes is a good decision. It's, I watched like four games of this guy and I'm like, I haven't seen a mistake. So yeah, uh, sidebar just on that or like t table that. They play defense very similar to the, older version of the Raptors. What do you make of that after the Raptors have now moved on from it to some degree and, and failed at it a little bit more last season? I was very much pro how they played last year, um, mainly because of just the size differential that they were playing with. Um, I do know, like especially towards the end of the season where it felt like every game mattered even more and they were trying to get into the play and a lot of people were frustrated with that defense, strictly because you would have those nights, with, especially with this defense, they're, they're overhelping, they're trying to cause panic on the offense, um, and they're overhelping. And that's the biggest thing there is strictly because of no – Rim, pre uh, rim presence um and i know like in that scenario they were living a lot with guys shooting and then you'd have guys get hot nights and there was a lot of frustration among the fans but i think that's essentially what got them there that that's how they caused a lot of turnovers and they were really really good at it um there were times you know of miscommunication but it was almost like every guy on the team had a string connected to one another 
where they just knew automatically where to rotate, where to get to next. Um, and that really helped them getting in transition because I do think, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I mean, they did struggle a little in the half court just because Shea is your main self-creator and everyone else is kind of just sitting. I don't want to, they're not watching because I do think they're a really good team at cutting and stuff like that. But when everyone else is lacking that self-creation ability, you become a bit over-reliant on him. So like that was a big thing for them is getting in transition. Um, and so, yeah, I think the over-helping really helped with, with the lack of big. I'm, I'm excited to see what they do this year because it's like, okay, so now you have Chet. Are you still going to do that? Or are you going to go a little more uh, lean back on the aggressiveness? Uh, so I don't know really what to expect from them on that. Mark Dagnold's an awesome defensive coach. Like I've been a huge fan of his so far the big first three years, which is I think like it's a big thing to ask guys who aren't winning to commit on the defensive end. Um, and I think they have, especially we finally we saw Shea last year commit on that end a little more than he has the previous two years, which was really, really exciting. Um, and I think a lot of those guys on the team, they have the physical tools that really helped him like clog up the passing lanes. I mean, J-Dub is like, his arms go down to his knees. It's so long. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Can I tell you something crazy that I just looked up while we were talking? You mentioned yeah. the half-court offense. So Oklahoma City, per cleaning the glass, was 16th in half-court offense in points per possession. It, they were 16th in points per possession in transition. And they were 16th in points per possession given up in half-court defense consistency yeah no kidding (laughs) and for the record they were first in transition frequency at 13.5 percent um and like that's obviously they do a great job of getting steals and stuff like that but the rebounding was a little tough for them maybe um but that's also that frequency is a credit to shea and josh chiefly among the roster and just like pushing the ball getting things going um and their points per play in transition, not that high. And I, that's typically just from watching the Raptors, uh, a lack of shooting at times. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to fill the corners, like you have to fill the lanes and then stuff opens up. Everyone remembers the Warriors getting wide open layups because there's like, even in the finals, like two guys back and two guys sprint to the corner and Kevin Durant walks into a, you know, like a, a dunk and, And then there's like the old heads are like, or anybody's like, is this basketball now? What the hell is going on? (laughs) But that that team was kind of breaking people's brains. Regardless, as you mentioned, Chet is there now. The Raptors moved away from it. They like once they got Pirtle, they started playing more conservative, which was a big win for them. Pirtle is obviously a super strong defender, but I mean, Chet is a rookie. He's he's a really hyped rookie. He's a guy that has testimonials from stars in the league. He's a guy who has testimonials from like really high level coaches. He's really well thought of and really well considered, but he's still got to play the day gum games. You got to do the thing. So uh, do you expect Chet's presence at the start of the season or by the end of the season to kind of inform what defense they decide to play? Uh, yes, I think they'll, they're going to try different things. I do think like they're still very much in an experimental stage. Um, I know everyone wants them to just for sure go in all in and try to win every single game. I think they're going to try new things throughout the season. Um, But I do think like it's going to take time, especially for Chet. Like I know the biggest thing with him is like him being skinny and all of that, but like he does have a good center of balance. Um, He has a good core strength and his timing. Like to me, he's one of the best 
pick and roll like prospects, defensive prospects we've seen in the last decade. Um, and that's honestly what I'm really excited for, because especially whenever they had Jay Will at center, I mean, he was playing deep, deep drop. And I mean, teams are either being able to pull up at three, hit the mid range, kind of have their way in those scenarios. Um, but I do think like it's going to take some growth. That's why I d- wouldn't be surprised if in the beginning of the year they do still overhelp a little, especially as Chet's he hasn't played a real NBA game yet. You know, mm-hmm. I think like I think we forget that it, summer league is a completely different thing than even preseason. Um, so I do think it'll be a while for him to get into that groove because uh, what it's been now two years since he's just played an actual basketball game. Um, so that's the biggest thing for me. Uh, I do think the rebounding is interesting because like, so one they they switched on everything essentially on the perimeter, right? Which that's hurts your rebounding. And then you didn't have the size. So that also hurts your rebounding. And then you also aren't crashing the boards as hard because you're trying to get in transition. So I'm really interested to see how they attack that part of it, because especially at the end, and I think it was the Minnesota game, or it might've been the beginning of the new Orleans game where it just felt like the other team was just uh, the playing games where it was just like second chance points, third chance points. And it was like, okay, this is, this is getting ridiculous. And then you saw like people getting upset about it. And this was like, t- this kind of built up towards the end of the season, right? When all the games really, really mattered. Um, I, I can't remember which game it was. It was towards the end where like the other team had a hot night um, and we couldn't get a board. And that just felt like the whole world was falling on us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and so I think that's like the big thing and that comes with now expectations and stuff like that, where the team goes from this innocent fun to, you know, you expect things and it becomes a little more miserable as you watch and stuff like that. There's there's an interesting thing here because I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting to see if they can balance it better than the Raptors did, because the big thing that happened with the Raptors last year was they could no longer lean on an elite defense. They had an elite, despite being, you know, up and down throughout the season, they were like a very good defense in 2021, 22. And then what happens is maybe it normalizes, maybe they're more tired. Like I've talked about this, that this season, the rotation to the nail was slower. The rotation to meet the ball, they were meeting the ball like, I don't know, four feet lower than they were the year before. This creates like the cascading effects that really hurts your defense. And so when the Thunder who, yeah, they were like, I think the third worst defensive rebounding team in the league, they gave up, I think the third most corner threes in the league. And, but they also defended corner threes really well this year. This kind of stuff, like the Raptors, they're like, we defend corner threes really well. We figured it out. And then this year they just hemorrhage it. And they're like, okay, Maybe it doesn't work. Um, last thing on the defense. Do you think that there's like a, a variance thing there? Or do you think that like many people had thought that the rap that the Raptors or the Thunder figured out to some degree what the best type of closeout looks like to intimidate shooters? Is it the Luke Cornette, you know, volleyball block closeout? What's the what's the move? No, I, I do think there's some variance because um, I do think you're essentially there were times where you're essentially relying on the other team to miss the shot, right? Like you're willing to give up the three instead of giving them the easy two by overhelping. And that's where it kind of comes. And so like, for instance, 
on a drive. There were times where the guy is helping on the weak side corner. He's going over to the nail. And then whoever's at like the top of the key is rotating over and just trying to get a really late contest. And essentially at that point, like depending on the level of shooter, it, it takes some luck. It takes some variance, right? And it also depends on the contest. Like I think Lou Dort's a guy who's really gotten good at that type of contest. But then let's, for example, no, I don't mean to like throw a shot at him, but like Isaiah Joe rotating to that shot isn't going to be the same. And I think you're going to rely on that luck, which like I do think throughout the season, they they benefited a lot from it. But then there were those times, like I just vividly remember some games where like a, a guy who may not be a great shooter, or a team who's not a great shooting team, like caught hot in the first quarter. And then they were down like 10 to 15. And like whenever it's, it's a must win game, but it's like also – how long will this team, you know, some teams do have those nights, but uh, I mean, the law of averages eventually will hopefully come down. Who do you think, uh, who do you think steps in next to Shea? Like for the, for the future of this team, not necessarily for this year, but as the, the secondary guy driving the offense, because, you know, you look at it, it's like they were the worst team shooting at the rim. They were bad in the short mid range. They were bottom five. They were good in the long mid-range, but hey, that's that's Shea, you know, carrying a lot of weight. They they were, you know, okay from the corner three, and they were like, they were just okay from three overall. But, you know, it's tough. There's like not a ton of efficiency there, which, who do you think helps mask this? Because Shea is efficient in what he creates. Jalen Williams. Um, not Josh. I- see this is funny because this this has been a topic this summer some people have been like who are you picking for the future josh or jalen and i've always said i will never say who i'm taking um but <laughs> i i think jalen in, in terms of that helps you a lot more he's an incredibly efficient player even for just a rookie um and i do think like josh and especially to a lesser extent like in terms of why those numbers are so bad is like lou is like lou's a historically bad finisher at the rim Josh is a really weak finisher at the rim. Josh isn't a great mid-range shooter. Lou isn't like the last thing I want on the court is Lou Dort shooting a mid-range shot. It just doesn't make sense to me in terms of efficiency. Um, and I just think Jalen's game, especially the way he's able to cut, um, I think he's that like perfect fit almost. Um, he's like he a res- top five cutter in the NBA already. It, he's dude, brilliant, it, man. His court mapping abilities. I mean, just it always seems like he's in the right place at the right time, um, especially with like the mixture of Shea. I know we talked about this last year, actually, but his improvements as an interior passer has just been so awesome to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I do think like those two fit really well. Jalen kind of... I don't want to say struggled from three, but he wasn't spectacular from three. The first few months, he recently, he like broke his, uh, or he had an orbital f- fracture the first game. He said that kind of bothered him. And I mean, the numbers, he shot 40% plus, I think, post all-star break, yeah. which is really encouraging because he shot well in college. Um, so like he's for me as of right now, I think the guy who just, he's one of those guys, I think you can put him on any team in the league and he's going to do well because as you said, like you watch for him, he just does everything. Like he doesn't need the ball. He can just move. He, he sets screens. There were some Shay and him, uh, Shay and Jada pick and rolls, which were really intriguing. He can, um, he's, he, like he, as a guard has slip timing. That's, and not like the ghost slip timing out to the perimeter, which is still good, but like you're mostly running in a straight line. But yeah. like, you know, flip the screen, slip into space, navigate like who's coming over on the tag. He's like, what the hell, man? No <laughs> guards can do this. Guards can't do this, but he just, man, it's like, you know, water off a duck's back, man. He just knew how to do it. Crazy. No, I agree. And like one thing with the, 
and efficiency. I think that's like going to be a big thing for their ceiling, which I know it's a really obvious thing to say, but it just, there were times last year, especially in the beginning of the year where I was like, this team just cannot self-create for itself. Like yeah. when, when Shea was off the court and even Josh really struggled whenever like he, Josh really struggles with like the smaller undersized guard who can get up under him because of the high hips and it just, they caught, they wreak havoc on him. And like, I do think that's where like the team has to grow is like that second ball handler that can really do it all, especially when Shea isn't there, which I still have hopes for Josh. Um, I really need him to get in a hot yoga class to get that <laughs> hip flexibility. Um, but I think that's going to be huge this year for a lot of guys is what can they do like Lou, especially like attacking off the closeout and being able to finish at the rim. It just a lot of especially now what's we're going on three years where he just feels like he's on a different page. His lower body and upper body are just on different pages. And then the lack of touch sometimes it's like just throwing the ball at the backboard. I, I it, it's just I love him. He's one of my favorite players, but he's just so frustrating at times. Yeah, it's tough. Um, what you say about Giddy for the record, like. I like when players, I know Giddy is fairly unique, even in the history of the NBA, not a lot of guys do it like him, but I like when players like that aren't necessarily thrust into create advantage over advantage over advantage, but when they can kind of like plug into the game when they're really seeing, because they read the, he reads the game tremendously well. So when, if he's provided opportunities as an ancillary guy to plug in and he's like, I'm really seeing something I can take advantage of. I'm really seeing how the defense is reacting to stuff. And just like, hey, Josh, like you're going to get the ball and you're going to push for us like on 26 possessions and you're going to get I don't, however many half court possessions. And, you know, like a decent percentage or a decent chunk of those, he's going to figure something out that neither Jalen or Shea would as playmakers and even sometimes as a scorer. And like he, he has an indomitable will. The finishing needs to get better, but God, Josh hunts the rim with a hunger like few players I've ever seen. No, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's the big thing of like process over results. Like a lot of the time, the process is there. So like I, I can live with the miss at the rim. Um, and I do think like some of that is probably strength and timing because I do think he has really good touch. If you get stuck on that last step too and your core isn't extremely strong, it's going to feel really yep. tough coming off your fingertips, you know, stretching out all the time. No, for sure. And like, I did like, like you, we saw, especially earlier in the season, ways to use him, like to create on the offense without necessarily the traditional way of just having the ball at half court and like someone coming, setting a screen or something. They would like put him on the elbow and have his back turn and he would essentially just dribble, post the guy up. And then like, you'd see an off ball action on the weak side, which then that may open something up or he's taking advantage of his strength. And like, that's the biggest thing for me was his strength creation last year. Like you mm -hmm. really saw, you really saw strides in that. And like that was, they kind of got away from those elbow touches. Uh, but like, that's what I'm really excited for this year to see if they kind of go back. Like I know I checked uh, NBA.com. They said like he had only posted up like six times all year. And I was like, that is, there's no way that's correct. They don't, they don't track post-ups properly. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was like, I, I can remember like three or four times per game, just the first two weeks that they were doing it, but it, it like they had success with it. Um, I wanted to go hand track it, but just never got time. Yeah, I noticed the post-up stuff, I had a feeling about it, but then when I was hand-tracking OG's post-ups and Scotty's post-ups, and Pat, like I've done it for a few different players on the Raptors, it never matches up. They don't acknowledge post-ups where you dribble into the post-up, and okay. I think they only acknowledge post-ups as 
um, post entry from the same side below the like top hash mark of the page. Okay. Like I think it, it's very strict the way they recognize it, which for the Raptors, you know, the past season was decent because, you know, they, they did bully drives and I like those being classified as drives instead of post-ups. And mm-hmm. they really went through a lot of trouble to like post up OG low off of cross screen. So the data worked out for him the one season, but overall it's like, it's tough. Like play day, play data, play type data is, is tough in general. Like I love that it's out there, but it's, um it's difficult. Uh, I've spent a decent amount of time getting excited about the Thunder players. We have an opportunity to get excited about some Raptors players. Just, you know, it's it's your world, Squirrel. Who do you like? Who are you looking forward to? Okay, I don't I don't know if I'm necessarily looking forward to him, but Dennis Shooter is probably a top five favorite player in the NBA for me. Um, he has he had the big year with the Thunder. Yeah, you know? and like I loved him early in uh, Atlanta, and like I texted my buddy at the start of the World Cup. Oh. I forgot who he scored. It might have been when he scored on Dylan Brooks and pointed at him and laughed. Uh, and yeah. I just sent it to my buddy and I go, is Dennis Shooter a top five cool AF player in the NBA? Like, yeah. you know, uh, but in like a broader view, I'm a huge fan of OG and I'm a huge fan of Scotty. Um, I know last year I was big on Gary Trent and on the podcast, uh, the love for Gary Trent has fallen off. Yeah. Um but I'm I'm still a really big believer in Scotty. I know a lot of people have like had things to say about the second year, um, which I do think the numbers may not support it or whatever. But like I do think he was a better player, um, mm-hmm. even though like I think people just expected this unrealistic jump. Um, and like I think a big thing we have to remember is like uh, development isn't linear, and so like there are going to be things like that, especially whenever you look at the offensive system uh, and just like maybe the team dynamics wasn't probably the best. And like the fit with him, Pascal is still just a bit like odd to me. Um, but I I really am hoping to see like strides from Scotty this year in terms of just scoring. Um, I know everyone wants like the shooting, which I think eventually the shooting will come, even if it's just league average, but like, I just want to see him creating advantages for himself. Cause I think that he's a great passer. Like I, I do think like the passing is awesome and I think just being able to create some of those advantages for himself would just make the passing open up even more. Um, I but I watching him create, you just he makes, and that was why I tracked all of his passes to look for like advantage passes. Like, how many birthday cakes is he delivering to guys? Like the easiest basket you've ever seen. It's a lot. He he yeah. creates a lot. Like he doesn't lead the team in advantages created. He doesn't create the best looks all the time. But the chances are, if Scotty gives somebody an assist, they had a really easy look on the other end. And not all assists are created equal. If you can give somebody an advantaged layup, that is like worth its weight in gold. It's worth two points, yeah. But it's two points that I could score. Like Scotty passes to me, and he's somehow massaged the floor into like a bend that even I can put the ball up. And he does that for NBA players. So yeah, like it's good to be able to pass a guy the ball and they hit the shot and it's like 19 feet and it's an assist, but it's just not the same. And Scotty, if he created advantages at the level that Pascal does, which I don't oh. expect in the next couple of years, but Pascal is like 30, Scotty's 22. Someday, his the way he reads the floor, the passes he's able to make, that's just unbelievable. That's like really, that's one really of, impressive. Like one of the best players in the NBA if he's sure. I mean, like, if he's creating advantage like Pascal. I think the thing I 
worry about for him is just the lack of shooting around him, um, which is like why I think like there's no way you can have Dennis as the fifth starter. Like he has to come off the bench. So you're Gary, OG, Scotty, Pascal, Jakob. Likewise, likewise, I'm there too. I, I, that's where I lean. Um, I just struggle also with because essentially in that, Scotty's just your point guard, right? Like he, that's that's the messaging from the team. I think they're they're leaning towards that. Yes. Um, and so I, I struggle with it just a little because I feel like you're almost. I know it's his third year, so it may be time, but like I feel like you're almost throwing him into the fire. Um, I do think like there may be a night like he needs a guy there to help him, but I just don't think like Dennis is a shooter enough to be able to do that. And I don't think Dennis is necessarily a guy who I love him, but he doesn't really play make for others. Like he's, he's a, he, he's the definition of like a bucket getter, you know, like one of the fastest uh, first steps in the league, great mid range shooter. But like, if, if you're focusing on the development, I do think like that's the, probably the best for Scotty, just having that ball and being able to create for the others. I just, I struggle with what Toronto's direction is, sure. right? Because if if it is for sure development, then like I think that's the obvious thing is like give him the ball, have that lineup, and you know there will be growing pains, but it's it's obviously understood at that point. But then it's also like we're we're keeping these guys, so like do we want to make, try to make the playoffs? It's just it's it's very frustrating from the outside looking in almost um because i just have like essentially no clue what masai truly wants to do because like i i do believe in like being able to maximize that value for the player and so every day that goes by it you're it's essentially like there's going to become less and less value for someone like pascal right and it's i i just very much question the fit between them two um, I don't think it's been like the prettiest thing so far, but then it's like, here's an all NBA guy that you're probably not going to get the value back for that. Like he truly gives you when he plays, like, let's be honest, like whenever we say whatever the trade value for Pascal is, like, if I was a fan of the Raptors, I would probably be like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, cause you watch him every game and you see all the amazing things he does. It's, it's tough. You know, it's, especially since, as you say, the direction can be confusing, and especially since like there's I get responses to all these podcasts, I get responses to articles I write and I pay attention to what's being said in comment sections and what's on Twitter. And that is how I kind of gauge the fan base ideals. And so the fan base on the whole typically skews optimistic, right? The fan base thinks currently that Dennis is a really good creator for other others, that he will improve a lot of the passing and playmaking relative to fred and you know we'll see i like i'm not gonna rag on the guy he has a history as an nba player if he bucks that trend then like hell yeah with the raptors they also you know there's three expiring contracts og ananobi pascal siakam and gary trent jr and whether or not you want to talk about i think this is good they're in contract years that means they'll play really well I because the team is like great, you're playing well, but if it doesn't cement a future that they like, because they're thinking of it like one year get paid, and sure that can result in something good for the Raptors this year, 
maybe they can overachieve. Like I, what is their over under right now? Like 36, 37. They all they'd have to do is win like 38, 39 to beat what people thought of them or what Vegas, which is like, I don't know, the collective people or the people who think hard about it, think of them. And, but then they all hit the open market. And like, damn, man, all three. That's you, that's tough. You Mostly. can't afford losing them all for nothing, right? Like you, you, can't, you can't really afford losing one, one. for nothing. Well, yeah. you could you could if Gary walks, then it's like, damn, but okay. Yeah. If you lose OG or Pascal for nothing, that's like cardinal sin. That's like I can't believe you manage a front office in this sport. That's unforgivable, considering that. Yeah, it's just like I don't want to talk about it too much because it's, it's not happened and they still have chances to try and get extensions, albeit I don't think they'll be successful. Um, that would be unforgivable, especially considering like it's just after the championship guys walking. So like having the three expiring, I know some people play better in the contract year or whatever, but it's not usually everybody all at once on a team that probably doesn't have the championship ceiling. It, like it creates that, a go on. Sorry. It's no, it's weird. Yeah. You're going to hit on something that it, I agree with. I'm sure it creates a weird team dynamic too, right? Like it, it's, it's going to be weird. And I feel like that's also makes it almost harder for like Darko to get guys to buy in. Right. Sure. Like, because essentially just any coaches buy in is like, so we can do all this sacrifice a little here for the greater good of the team. But then as the team does better, you'll do better as well. But it's hard to get guys to get uh, agree to that because essentially they're having to put all their trust into someone else and trust him that it's going to work. And like, I do think that there's going to probably have to have some outlier things happen for Toronto to be a playoff team. Like you're going to, they were really good with Pirtle as whenever he came in as their center. So you're going to have to probably have a top five defense which I, I do think that part is possible. Mm-hmm. But the offense is where like all the question marks come for me. Yep. Like, especially in the half court. Like, I worry about the thunder in the half court. I can't even imagine watching Toronto in the half court. Like, that's how worrisome I get for them. Um, and like, that's going to be a big thing. And then you need guys individually to just have outlier years, essentially. Like, you need Dennis Schroeder to have a 1920 OKC shooting year, which he shot the best year of his career, right? Like, you need stuff like that to happen. And I feel like whenever that's like a lot of things that need to go right. And like, I'm a huge fan of Darko. Like, I think he's going to be awesome. You know, he won, uh, I'm, I'm from Tulsa. He won the Tulsa 66ers, a G league championship when he was the coach here. Um, I think the dude is awesome, but like, that's just so much that has to go right for all that to work out. It's, it is a lot. And it's a major test of Darko's, you know, that, that leader of men tag. Can you get the buy-in? Do you have the charisma to do it? And then even past that is like, is what you're saying and your ethos for basketball working to create that positive feedback loop if it works and it all works then like great and you you retain everybody you're not losing guys for nothing maybe you know i i was saying i've said this before but if scotty makes a giant leap as a scorer which i don't think is the most realistic but if he does that's what can keep pascal in the fold and not force them to trade him but again, probably not super realistic unless he has like an insane jump in, you know, ball handling or 
pull up shooting or anything like that. And which has currently been lagging behind. And so it's like, you know, what happens with this team? It's really interesting. What usually happens when you have a bunch of guys expiring at once, usually guys get traded. Like maybe the Raptors are the special team. Maybe it doesn't happen. But what usually happens, usually one or two guys is getting traded. And that's tough, man. It's uh, Would the fan base be pro that? Like, because I know this is at least how I felt towards the end of the Russ and PG era, where it was like every year was a first round exit. And it was just like, okay, this is time to retool, time to reload something because this is becoming, in my opinion, the worst place to be is like the middle of the NBA. And I don't think like that means bottom out. I just mean like it's a, it's, you put yourself in a really difficult spot when you're that eighth or seventh seed every year. Yeah. It's uh, like the Raptors discussed Pascal. Like they, they, this isn't just like, ooh, shadow reporting. Yeah. No. There was attempts to trade the guy, not just this year, but after like the Tampa season, they just like they just they've been discussing trading Pascal because Pascal's rise to an all NBA level player surprised even them. And like Pascal loves Toronto. He wants to be here. That's an interesting thing. Like that's an interesting wrinkle is that the players like, no, I won't be going anywhere else. I want to stay here. We're used to. No, I'll go anywhere but here. And Pascal is the inverse, right? Like he loves Toronto. And then you have OG who has quietly been saying like, I want more possessions. And why does he want more possessions? Because he got jobbed on his last contract. Like was four years, 72 million for that guy? Absolutely not. Like he should have been north of 20 every single year. And so what does he want to do when he comes out of this contract? Get a bag. How do you get a bag? By having some self-creation chops in addition to being an all-NBA defender and like a super high-quality three-point shooter. And what has he not been given a ton of license to do? Self-create. And he struggled while he's done it. But again, OG's interests do not have to align with the Raptors. OG can be like, no, I want possession so I can try and earn more money because you guys, my agent didn't do a good enough job and I lost like millions of dollars. And like, good for you guys, you got a good deal. Mm-hmm. but now I'm leaving something like that. Right. Yeah. And, and maybe the Raptors are the ones who pay him the most. Maybe he stays, but maybe it's Pascal. They pay him the most. Maybe he stays. Maybe they pay Gary the most. Maybe he stays, but it's just like, mm, it's an expensive team. If they don't have Scotty to raise the ceiling and the floor by stepping into stardom. And how do you, how do you appease all these guys while also figuring out if Scotty's a star? just like a lot of intersecting interests and yeah yeah, it's just like i don't know maybe grady dick will have like enough you know bonding tiktoks to keep everybody in a good you know maybe maybe they get shout outs on scotty's twitch channel that boosts their social i like i don't know man i don't know how they do it i would love to see them do it though i you know I much rather interview and talk to guys who are happy about how the season is going. Last year, after November, because they thought they had it, they were pretty confident they were going to come out of it. But then after November, like it hit, and then it stuck. That locker room, those guys, they were in a tough spot. Everybody was in a tough spot. And it's just like, damn. I don't know, man. It's tough. It's interesting. I also forgot to mention... Uh, I think we're 10 for 10 on organic 
from the outside looking in mentions on the outside <laughs> looking in series. I just rambled forever. Any thoughts? No, you're good. Um, one question is how, how much of last year's struggles do you think was on Nick? Cause like I, I struggle with my feelings about, I think he's a good coach. Um, but I feel like he almost reached his ceiling at the end with that group and may have lost them at the same time. Uh, he lost. Them. And, and, and I think he's, <laughs> I think he's kind of a sociopath at the same time, like, <laughs> like, like in a compliment type of way, but also the bad that comes with it. Right. Like the, the 40- maniacal competitor. Yeah. Yep. And like the 44 minutes a night thing at times I thought was insane in terms of guys' bodies. And just like, I, I get it. I'm overly competitive. and want to win every game, but like, I just don't know how healthy that is and how like healthy that is for team morale even. Um, and so like, that's a part I really struggle with. And like, I feel like whenever you listen to Nick talk, then when you listen to Darko talk, there's just something about Darko that like, I I'm ready to suit up for the guy. Right. Like I, I, I love him. Um, I remember like his early years in Oklahoma city. I mean, he's the assistant that's like, won't sit down. Right. Like, it's like, all right, does this guy think he's the head coach? Like, and I loved every bit of it. And so it's just, that's the part where I get out like of what their true, like, goal is right because like i just i just don't know what the expectations is on like someone like darko and then like one of the assistant coaches vin bignani who's like has an insane track record of player development Mm -hmm. um just with the spurs and with the thunder and he interned with the clippers like he's he's a guy that's been through the ringer and has like worked worked with kd and russ for like five plus years right and so it's just like i i just i don't understand that part like because i i whenever they hired darko my my from the outside looking in was like okay they're moving towards development like this is a young coach this is a guy that like okay like it's kind of like when the thunder hired mark dagnold i was like okay i didn't think they would bring chris paul and dennis Schroeder and steven adams back but this was the confirmation i needed and so that's where i kind of get like i would like i'm i'm so surprised that like they hired him and they were like okay we're still going in with this group into training camp yeah it's um regarding your question about nick nurse nick had interpersonal problems in the locker room with players and he had interpersonal problems on the coaching staff and the ones with the players was years long and the ones with the coaching staff more so came up this this past season and that stuff is really hard to navigate when the team is underperforming its talent level and then those like little cracks the chinks in the armor uh, they become a lot harder to navigate. And that some coaches wear out their welcome. Like you can only do, like that doesn't mean like Nick coached the championship team and then coached a team to, they were, I think like a 59 or 60 win pace during the the bubble season, right? Mm-hmm. And like Nick also helped innovate some things at the NBA level and helped establish trends that we still see in the game today. Like all that stuff is just like, Hell yeah, great coaching. But there's also like the interpersonal aspect of it too. And Nick wore out, like ran on those same tire treads too much, burned it out. And so he gets to start new in Philly. And I bet he does a good job in Philly. And, but, you know, it's like regular work. Some people just, they have to, you have to move on. You, you know, some people are grading in some ways. Some people are grading in others. You want somebody who's good at their job while being grading if they're going to be grading. And at least Nick was that. But yeah, it, it was tough. Darko, my experience with him so far, 
which is obviously super different than, you know, the experiences that the players will have and the coaches will have. That guy is a sweetheart. Um, I, I'm excited to see as he grows more in. So like, okay, this is me. I'm a little more comfortable. I'm not just like, holy shit, I'm an NBA head coach. Like, cause that's, that's what he has been, right? Like he's yeah. worked, he started coaching when he, he quit basketball to coach when he was what, 15 or 16. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to make it. I want to be part of the game. He moved, he learned languages. He he's been everywhere doing it. He grinded, grinded, grinded. And now he's a head coach. So when I've seen this guy, he's happy as a clam. I we'll see what happens once the season happens and there's like basketball and some things aren't working, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited for what's, what's in store. I suppose. I, I think you said it perfectly. Like, I think that's one really underappreciated thing about coaching is like just being able to get players to like buy in or like, like you and like ego management, like coaching is so much more, especially at the professional level. Mm-hmm. It's so much more than X's and O's and schemes and stuff like that. Like a lot of it is, is just your relationship with these guys. Um, and I think that's like one big thing, like when people were upset about Darvin Ham halfway through the year and I was like, not everything is like, you may not like what you see on the court at all times, but like if he has the locker room bought in, like that's the biggest thing, right? Cause like the second is, coach loses the players it's i mean it's over after that winning fixes everything but if you're not winning either then at that point it's it's a bit it goes stale um if if you have the buy-in and you're doing something wrong it means they will do what eventually fixes what was wrong if you don't have the buy-in you're not going to fix it and so like well that's even you know and, and managing like egos not that dennis is the egomaniac in this scenario but like dennis Schroeder. The altercation he had with Germany's head coach is like he tried to get handsy. He's yelling. He's being like an asshole. And Dennis is like, hey, bro, like not you're not doing this. Do not do this to me. And it, that's not Dennis being the ego maniac there. But it's just like there are big egos in the NBA, massive, huge. And navigating all of them at once in concert with each other is I don't know. It's as much like therapy as it is, you know, drawing up X's and O's. It's a you it's it's one of it's a very unique job to hold because again, you're trying to command and you know tell all these guys what to do. And in Darko's case, it's like, what are you getting? Like two, two point five, three million dollars a year? Pascal is getting paid thirty-nine. It's just like, you know, like you make the minimum contract and just the way the hierarchy goes, everyone's like, you listen to this guy. And a lot of guys not saying the Raptors, but a lot of guys of the league are like, I listen to the money, man. Where is the money? How do I play to get the money? And coaches who can override that by being like, hey, sit down over here. I want to tell you a story about what this team can be. Impressive, man. It's uh, it's unique. For sure. Yeah. Um, final question. Okay. And I, like, you know, I'm really interested to know. OG Ananobi, self-creation. What are your thoughts? Because I feel like you were probably like on board in 2020, 2021. You're like, it could happen. He had the, you know, the, what was it? Like 23 games at the end of the season where he was like scoring 20 points per game, four assists on 60% true shooting. And everyone's like, holy shit, it's happening. I'm like, where are you on that? I, I was there. Um, I, I mean, I loved I still lose sleep about the Thunder picking Terrence Ferguson <laughs> over OG. I love T Ferg, love him to death, but I lose sleep over that. Um, I 
I hate to say, but like, and I do think like there's still a chance for development, but I think like the ceiling is there almost. Um, I, I just, I don't know how much further along it can get. Uh, I understand that he wants the more of those reps, but as you said earlier, like from what we've seen, the, the data just does not give me a ton of hope. Um, I, I did like yeah, the data in the, the film. data, the film, everything it, and I don't think, I think that's fine. Like I think OG can still be a top earning player in the league. Cause he's just so good at what he does. Um, and I think that's kind of maybe the point where some players, you know, fall into where they try to add too much to their game. Right. Instead of being, I think Kevon Looney was saying it the other day, it was like, focus on what you're good at and like become great at it. Right. And he's, freaking great at being a three and D like wing. Like he is, Oh my goodness. I, that guy is so awesome. And that's fine. Like I don't, not everyone has to do that. Has he step back, you know, attack the closeout, you know, score in those simple ways. And I think that's a pretty good basketball player. Like you don't have to do all this other stuff. Um, And like, even if the self creation doesn't come, I do think like it's the fit is fine with Scotty. Um, Cause I think he, I think OG is a more than good enough shooter to make up for any of that stuff. There was, I tweeted this out because I was absolutely enamored with it, but I watched a mini doc on the world's best stone skipper. He is a guy who skips stones all the time and he holds the world record. I think it was like 88 skips or something, just an insane number. He has an art form too. And so he says a simple thing through mastery becomes a really visual and spiritual kind of art form. It's a way of making joy out of nothing. And that can't be valueless. Well, like just a beautiful quote, a beautiful outlook on life is like, we imbue, that is what we do as humans is we imbue things and then give them meaning because it's really just a bunch of stuff sitting around. And not only is defense in the NBA really meaningful in that it helps your team win like a ton and it gets you paid a ton, but it's also that, OG has mastered it to the degree that his defense is an art form and he has imbued it with like all of his intention and he still has time to try things on offense and be like a guy who dunks everything and cuts super well and hits threes at like a well above average rate and uh, like a very healthy efficiency and against tough contests and it's just like damn that's already like just an awesome player. That's already a player that the Knicks would trade three first round picks and Evan Fournier for, you know, but like sometimes trades don't happen. Um, he, he's tremendous. He's going to get a bag. If he, if he popped off as a self creator, obviously he'd get a bigger one, but the bag will be hefty regardless. I'm uh, I'm excited for it. Yosef, any parting shots before we get out of here? No, man, I really appreciate you for having me on. Um, really excited to watch, honestly, both teams. Uh, just really excited to watch Dennis Shooter again. Uh, cool. I, dude, I just, I love the guy. Um, one of my favorite players, but I'm also honestly really excited for Darko. Uh, like, I was so happy. I couldn't stop smiling when the Raptors hired him. Uh, really excited to see what he does on defense. I know you asked him about his defensive scheme, so I'm waiting for you guys to watch film together <laughs> on that, Okay. Um, and I'm excited to see if like his offensive philosophy will work with the current players they have. Um, excited for the Thunder season. I miss watching Shea Gildas Alexander play basketball. Um, just it hasn't been that long. I know you watched Team Canada. Oh, I did, but it's <laughs> it's just like I don't know. It's something when he's wearing your team's jersey. Like I was telling my mom the other day, I was like, we're just so lucky. Like first, like <laughs> it, he's just so cool too. Like just even the off the court stuff. Like I was like. Russell Westbrook was way too cool for Oklahoma 
And Shea Gildas Alexander is like way too cool for Oklahoma as well. So it's just a cool thing. Uh, but I'm just really excited. Thank you so much for having me on. As I said earlier, like you have an awesome guest list. So I'm just like genuinely very, very honored to be a part of that. Um, you put out great work. I enjoy it. I really do. So thank you so much. My brother, you are part of what makes it awesome. Just like Shay, you're way too cool for this <laughs> podcast, man. Uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to pay attention to the Thunder this season, maybe you watched Team Canada and you were like, holy hell, Shea is the coolest player ever, maybe. And Lou Dort, you know, there's some frustration stuff there, but like I'm rooting for that guy too. And you want to tune in and pay attention to that team. Or maybe we've sold you on, you know, J-Dub as like the perfect player, the the best of all time. Um, Thunder Film Room on Twitter as far as just having, if you're on Twitter, somebody feed you like all of the relevant stats, film, and info about the team, one-stop shop. That's who you should follow. Um, pay attention to. Take in. All right, Yosef, brother, let's get out of here. Listener, thanks for tuning in. And uh, whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.